Today we start a message series called Hot Topics, and we're going to talk about the things that people aren't talking about. It's the things that you almost feel like you can't talk about. And today we're talking about human sexuality. Take out your bulletins. It looks like this. And in the bulletin, we have a note page. It looks like this. Take that out. Fill in the blanks along with us as we go through this message. We've got a lot, of, a lot to get through in this message. And then I have a special interview testimony at the end. I'm very excited about this. Also in your bulletins, there is a phone number. We want you to text your questions to the phone number. If you have questions that go unanswered, ask us the questions. And you can text these questions at any time. And Wednesday at noon, we do the Deep End Podcast special question and answer session about these hot topics. Uh, so start texting as soon as you feel a question coming on. But today I want to open this conversation with a story I heard about a Catholic priest, a Baptist preacher, and a Jewish rabbi. They were having coffee and they decided that converting humans was getting too easy. So they decided to do a challenge between the three of them to go out into the woods and convert a bear. True story. Um, <laughs> and they went out and they found their own bear and they came back seven days later with their story. The Catholic priest said, and he had, when the Catholic priest came back and he had some scratches on his arms, on his face, on his legs, and he said, man, I'll tell you, I had that bear and he was chasing me, he was trying to kill me, but I let him down to the water and when he got near the river, I took some holy water and I splashed it on that bear and before you knew it, he was saying the rosary. <laughs> and then the Baptist preacher came in and he had a broken arm and he had a, a couple of bandages on his head and he looked a little bit worse for wear and uh, he said, I'll tell you something, I wrestled that bear down to that river, I got him in the water and I baptized that sucker and he came out of the water speaking King James English and quoting John 3.16, hallelujah. <laughs> and the Jewish rabbi had, had to be rolled in on a stretcher. He was in a full body cast, every bone broken and he even had his head completely covered and just through the lips that were poking through the cast, they said, what happened to you? And he said, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't start with circumcision. Uh, that's what this feels like for me. Like, we're going to go circumcise a bear right now. Um, we're talking about human sexuality because I don't know if you've been awake for the last 15 years, but the conversation has changed. The conversation has changed. How many of you guys know Shane Parsons? Yeah, Shane has got some fans in this house. Some of you, how many of you love Shane Parsons? Amen. Amen. He is our executive pastor. He does all the detail work. That's him enjoying his favorite restaurant. He's our executive, he's on staff here. Some of you like Shane Parsons more than you like me. Perfectly fine. Feelings mutual. All right, but Shane, last weekend, I, 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 he told me this story. After service, Father's Day weekend, he goes down the street to the local bar, straight down the street here, and uh, he took his wife for a drink, just to relax, unwind after a busy weekend, and he does that because he knows that Jesus turned water into wine, and Paul told Timothy to have a little wine for his upset stomach, so it's kind of like his life verse. <laughs> and he went down to the bar to have a drink with his wife, and they were minding their business in the bar, and a lady walks up, who he had never met, and says, why are you so involved in that Waters Church? Never had seen this lady before. Never had heard her name. Never had met her. 
and he was caught off guard, and, you know, he wasn't really expecting conversation like this, and so he decided just to answer, well, I work there, but I love the Lord, I'm just doing what the Lord wants me to do, I'm just excited to be a part of it. And the second question out of her mouth, the second question out of her mouth was, well, what do you believe about gay marriage? And Shane was now really taken aback, wondering what on earth is going on. <laughs> and he said, well, and he hesitantly said, you know, we don't, we don't really like blab about this, but I'm against it. I don't, I'm not for it. I'm a Christian. And with that, she slammed her hand on the table. I knew it. I knew it. She walked up to the bartender and pointed at Shane Marianne and said, their religion offends me. The conversation has changed. 15 years ago, five years ago, that could have never happened. And for sure, the Christian church has done a lot of damage to people who struggle with their sexuality in times past. But the conversation has done a 180. And the intolerance is coming from the other side. I'm old enough and been in ministry long enough to remember that in 2003, the argument for gay marriage was... You need to be tolerant of other people. How many remember that? That was the argument. That was what it used to be. Now the argument has shifted. Now it is this. We will tolerate you until you come to believe like we do. Like now you need to agree with us. And if you don't, you will be shunned and shamed in a culture that has radically shifted over the last 15 years. I want to quote somebody from 2008. He said this. He said, I believe that marriage is the union between a man and a woman. Now for me as a Christian, it is also a sacred union. God is in the mix. Who said that in 2008? Barack Obama. Was he a homophobe? Did he suddenly have an enlightenment? Why has this happened? Where have, how have we gotten to this point where if you don't bake a cake for a gay wedding because you have genuine religious views about what makes a marriage and you don't want to, that now you have to defend yourself in a series of court lawsuits and go all the way to the Supreme Court and and basically defend your right to believe a certain way. How have we gotten here? To the point where a CrossFit employee recently was fired. He was an executive at CrossFit. What did he do? What was the sin he committed? Here's what he did. He tweeted out that he was happy his company was not hosting a gay pride event. He was fired. How did we get to the point where if you are a... Um, if you are a uh, Trinity Western University, a Canadian privately funded institution of higher learning, recently, last week, had their accreditation stripped from them by the Canadian Supreme Court. Why? Because they believe marriage is between a man and a woman. Now they can no longer acc give accredited education to the students who pay for it. How do we get to the point where the, the founder of Twitter, his name is Jack Dorsey, he's the founder of Twitter, and earlier this month, June, which you probably know through social media, Gay Pride, LGBT Pride Month, he made the fatal mistake of tweeting out that he enjoyed a fried chicken sandwich from a certain restaurant. 
And he was shunned and shamed and forced to apologize for eating at a certain restaurant in a certain month. How did we get here? It is the culture of the absurd. And there is something that every one of you needs to understand today. That being a Christian in 2018 and beyond in this country is going to, for the very first time, I think, in American history, really mean that you have to stand out and stand for what you believe and not be bullied and harassed into silence because of who you are. Like This is where we've come to. How did we get here? That's the question, and I'm going to talk about that because I believe it is diagnosed in Romans chapter 1. So Romans chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles, open them. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. All the text that I'm going to read today will be on the screen. I want to give you some, um, a frame of reference for this, for this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 1. Romans is a book in the Bible. It is written to the church in Rome by the greatest apostle probably that ever lived. His name was the Apostle Paul, formerly a hater of Christianity and now converted and turned into the greatest proponent of Christianity in human history. He brings the gospel to the Gentiles for 10 or 15 years. It was all about Jews coming to Christ and Paul and Barnabas go around the world and share the message of Jesus with people who are not Jewish and they come to Christ in leaps and bounds. And so he writes back to a church in the first century in Rome and the whole book of Romans is about the gospel. Somebody say the gospel. The gospel. If you want to know how to interpret the entire Bible and what God has been doing since Genesis chapter 1 to bring about his redemptive purpose through the work of his son Jesus Christ at the cross 2,000 years ago, read the book of Romans. It summarizes the whole thing for you. And so he has to, before he tells us what God has done, he has to first diagnose what has gone so horribly wrong. And so we're just in the very first part of a very long argument. Please don't just lift this passage out of the context of the book of Romans. You should read the whole book of Romans on your own someday. But for the first three chapters, he's going to enunciate one simple reality. Here's the, here's the theme of Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3. We are all seriously messed up. That's basically the theme. And so he starts. He starts with people who don't know God. And here's... What he says in verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And he's like, let's talk about the wrath of God. And some of you are like, I don't like the wrath of God. That makes me uncomfortable. And some of us think falsely that the wrath of God is God getting grumpy. And that's not true. God doesn't get grumpy. Here's the wrath of God. The wrath of God is like a brick wall. It is his firm and steady opposition to anything and everything that hurts his good creation. That's the wrath of God. And when you live contrary to God's character and nature, it's like running into a brick wall. How many know if you choose to run into a brick wall, one of the two of you is going to move and it's not going to be the brick wall. The scars and the bruises and the pains and the broken things that you experience are not the result of, are not 
the result of the brick wall getting grumpy at you for running into it. It is the result of your foolishness for trying to think you could run contrary to it. That's the wrath of God. And the wrath of God brings pain. The wrath of God brings hurt. The wrath of God brings an enormous amount of discontent in our hearts because there's something wrong in the human nature. He's just getting started. Look what he says in verse 19. For what can be known about God, verse 19, is plain to them because God has shown it to them. God can be known. How? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been, what's that word right there? clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Where? In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Basically, Paul's saying God can be known. How can God be known? He can be known through the created order, the entire universe. The Bible says the heavens, the planets, Jupiter and Mars and Saturn and, and, and Mercury and the sun and all the galaxies, the heavens declare the glory of God. How big is our God? How big is the universe? He's bigger than that. Even right now, scientists tell us that the universe is, fast, is expanding faster every day. Why? To declare the glory of our infinite creator who is beyond comprehension. The trees of the field, Bible says, clap their hands to rejoice in their creator. The hills sing to the glory of their creator. The whole earth, the Bible says, is full of the glory of our God. Everything in nature is there to show you how good God and how glorious God is. And that's how we can know him through what theologians have called general revelation. General revelation. So verse 21, though, look what it says. They're without excuse, verse 20, but now verse 21. For although they could know God, they could see God through creation, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They rejected the creator. They said, no thank you to the creator. And then verse 22 says this, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They said, we see that there's a creator through what is created, but we reject it. And then they turned their hearts toward the things that were made and they worshiped them as gods. This has been the reality of the human race since our beginning. If we will not worship God, we will worship things that God has made. Fundamentally, write it down in your notes. Mankind has a worship problem. Fundamentally, that's our problem. It is not homosexuality, it is not transgenderism or gender dysphoria or alcoholism or, or lust or pride or ambition or arrogance or all those. Fundamentally, the scripture says here in Romans that the number one problem we have is that we have misplaced worship. Now, let me talk about worship because some of you are under the impression that worship is only what we do for about 10 to 15 minutes in the beginning of our services. No, that is singing. And you can sing in worship, but you can live in worship. You can purchase in worship. You can spend your money in worship. And here's what worship really is. It comes from an old English word. Worship comes from an old English word called worth 
worth-ship. Worth-ship. Think about that word worth. What are you worth? What is worth it to you? What is so worth it to you that you will surrender your rights, your money, your time to have it? And whatever that thing or that person is that you identify as the thing that brings you worth, that is your God. That is the source of your significance. That is the source of your identity. This thing or this person in my life brings me self-worth. We are all worshipers. You could go to a secular concert where they will sing not a stitch of music about God and people will look like they are attending a Pentecostal church service. <laughs> or let me bring it more home to you. You can go to the chapel that is right up the road here on Route 1. It's called the Chapel of Gillette Stadium and you will watch grown men lifting their hands in adoration to men in tights. A little further up the road, you'll go to a place, another chapel called Fenway Park, and people from age 6 to 90 will stand in the middle of the eighth inning and sing in unison to a woman who we don't even know who she is about baseball. <laughs> Everyone's a worshiper. Everyone is looking for something to give them worth. And if it's not God, it'll be what he has made. Number one in your notes, Paul is saying this. Man is not made to worship what is made. Enjoy it? Yes. Go to the Patriots game. Go to the rest. Enjoy it. Have a good time. Drink a beer. Have some peanuts. And then... Leave and enjoy it. Go to the mall and buy a shirt. Go to the, go, go to the, the grocery store. Get some good food. Cook up a beautiful meal and rejoice over the taste of that beautiful gift. But please do not terminate your worship on the object. Thank the creator for what he has created for you to enjoy. The problem is that we move from enjoyment to extolling. And that's a serious flaw in the human condition. We reject God and we worship what he has made. And we're not made to do that. For centuries in this country and for centuries in this culture, and by culture I mean the West, Europe, and America, and Canada, um, we have worshipped other things outside of us. We have found our worth in possessions. So people will get all, all worked up over the latest iPhone and they will camp out they will camp out on a street corner and live like bums and homeless people for an iPhone. And, and then we will worship the latest car or the bigger house. And we will go over our friend's house and we will say, why is their house so nice? Let me go and get myself a nicer house because that is where I place my worth in having the nicer house than my friend. Well, we have worshiped profit and so Martha Stewart will go to 
jail for insider trading because evidently it's whoever has money never has money enough. It's never enough. We need more, we need more, we need more. Or we will worship people. People, we will worship people. I I wanna say to people who worship people, have you ever met people? (laughs) We will worship people who have never met us. We will exalt them. Some of you will do this with me as a preacher. It's like, please don't do that. I can't live up to your your godly expectations of me. I will fail you, I guarantee you. Ask my wife. (laughs) But we worship people. I, I saw a video recently online. A video recently online, man on the street asking random strangers, and most of the people could list the three Kardashian sisters faster than the three branches of our government. <laughs> so let's do a little experiment. Kim, Chloe, and see, none of you want to do this now. You know, none of you, I've trapped you, haven't I? Executive, judicial, and very good. There's hope for America. Hallelujah. For almost a century, humankind in the West has worshipped things outside of itself for worth, for identity, for status. But we are in a very unique place in history where we no longer worship the things that are outside of us, now we worship the things that are inside of us. Paul says to Timothy, he says, this is gonna mark the end days, watch this. He says, listen, Timothy, verse one of 2 Timothy chapter three, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers or worshipers of who? Self. Self. (laughs) Lovers of money. Boastful, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I've just described your Facebook feed. The top of the list, though, lovers of self. I am the determiner of my own existence. You know, I want to prove it to you just real quick. For centuries, for no, for decades, in this country, the number one enemy of science, according to the scientists, has been people of what? Faith. You foolish, religious, fairy tale people. How dare you deny scientific fact because of what you foolheartedly believe? That has been the argument from the radical scientists out there. Now, science is not opposed by people of faith. Now it is opposed by people of feeling. If science fails to prove that there is no homosexual gene, there is no transsexual gene or transgendered gene, the person who feels that way simply denies the science. Why? Because self, ladies and gentlemen, has become the determiner of our own existence. And the mantra of our modern age is, 
Don't tell me what to do, think, or be. I am whatever I say I am. Because this is how I feel. The Bible calls that lovers of self rather than lovers of God. Number two, man worshiping self leads to self-demise. Just like running into that brick wall will leave you with bruises and broken bones. Running away from the worship and the honor and the praise of God because he's good and because all that you have is from him and by him and for him. And running into yourself and running headlong into the obsession with self, this will hurt you. <laughs> I, I, I got no skin in the game about this stuff. I don't. If you want to be whatever you want to be, if you feel and you want to live it, I got no skin in the game. I don't. It's about you. It's about that person who wants to lead their life according to their own ambitions and feelings and inc inclinations or proclivities, and that's it, and that settles it. And here's what Paul's about to say. You can't stay that way. It'll hurt. And this is a cultural, uh, this is a cultural diagnosis that he is making, and it's also an individual diagnosis that he's making. So look at what he says in verse 24. Because man does not worship God but worships the Creator, look what it says. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. I always think that this passage right here is the scariest passage in the Bible. It's the scariest passage in the Bible because it's saying this. God does not force you or me to worship him. And he says, listen, if you will not worship me and you want to worship all the things that I've created and you want to find your worship and your worth and all the things that you imagine to be the most important thing in your life, God says, okay. To me, that's like the scariest thing. God just says, you want to chase it? Have at it fully. God gives them out. God does not force you to love him. And then it goes on and says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And then skipping down, verse 26, for this reason, again, God gave them up. He said, look, you, you want to be focused all on yourself? You can do it. Here you go. God gave them up to the dishonorable passions for women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And here's what happens. Creation turns from creator in love and affection and reciprocal honor and grace and, and, and love and turns in on itself and God turns them in on themselves fully to experience it. Let me just give you some theological framework for what we're going, where I'm going here. What you have to understand about the scriptures in the Bible is it was given to us by the Jewish people. The Jewish people. A guy by the name of Moses enters into the human stage in ancient times, and he tells the world something the world had never heard before. He tells the world that God is not in creation. He is external and separate and distinct from it. That's on the very first page of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Very first line. You see, why is this important? Because in ancient times, no one thought that. 
In ancient times, God was in the things that were made. God was in the tree. So we worship this tree. Why? Because it's God. God was in the stars. God was in the sun. For the Egyptians, God was in the Nile. It was the, it was the God of the Egyptians. This is how ancient people interpreted their reality. Um, for the Mayans, God was in the sun or in the moon, and they would sacrifice different tribes, people. They would behead people in the name of the sun or in the name of the moon whenever there was a drought or a famine. They would sacrifice people to please the sun, to have rain and to have things watering their garden. Uh, even to this day, Hindus still see the cow as sacred. It's an object of worship. And every year they have a festival to the cow and they dress up cows in distinct costumes and they worship and honor and pay homage to the cow. And meanwhile, their nations are starving. And I always want to say to them, eat the cow. <laughs> it tastes good. <laughs> Like, I mean, no disrespect, no disrespect. Like, believe what you want, but listen, I'm just saying, we worship creation to our own demise. And, and then in the Roman world, the emperor was God. And in today's world, we are gods. We are our own gods. But Judaism comes into the world and Moses says, no, God is separate. He is distinct. And listen, creator is different from creation. He is the word, the, the Bible's favorite word for it is, he is holy. Holy means distinct and different and separate. In fact, the angels in Isaiah chapter 6 are around the throne of God, and they look at him, and they cover their faces, and they cover their feet, and they cover their hands, and they say, listen, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God says in Isaiah, who can you compare me to? There is none who is my equal. He is completely distinct, completely different, and separate from creation. And we are made, listen, the intention of the creator is to create an intimate, loving, sharing, honoring, reciprocal, upward and downward relationship of love between creation and creator where opposites come together in intimacy. This is what we are made for. This is why the Bible describes our relationship with Jesus as a marriage between a man and a woman. Every time you read about the relationship that we have with Jesus, it is man and wife. It, 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 the Bible begins with a marriage of a man and a wife. The Bible ends with a marriage between a man and a wife. And all through the Bible, it's talking about marriage between a man and a woman. And in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this. He's talking about husbands and wives, and he's talking about all that stuff, how wives should live, how husbands should live. And then at the end of it, he says, listen, but listen, I don't want you to miss this. A man shall leave his father and mother and, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become flesh. But then he says, look, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Creator, Jesus Christ, the one through whom and for whom and to whom are all things and have all things been created from and creation, the church, the bride, are meant and destined to live in eternity forever in a faithful, pure, harmonious, intimate marriage. That's where we're headed. And when we reject it, we turn inward on ourselves, and here's what it is. It is same, loving same. And so Paul is saying, and I hope you're catching this. I hope I'm saying it clearly enough. 
that homosexual advancement in a culture is just emblematic of a culture that has worshipped the creation for generations. Man has turned in on himself and has rejected distinct and different and embraced same. And I wish it got easier from there. But it doesn't. It gets a little bit darker because he says in verse 29, he says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. And he's not just talking about homosexuals. Please, please, please understand. Listen, it doesn't end with that. No, 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 no. Look what he says. He says, they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Your Facebook feed, again, right there. And it's like, before you get on a high horse, Christian, and start looking at a gay person and say, shame on you, look at the list and see if you find yourself on it. Because I do. I do. Like, are there any um, covetous people in the house? Are there, are there any people here who have some strife inside of them, some deceit? You ever tell a lie? You ever, you ever get malicious? Tur- How, any gossips in the church? No. <laughs> no. Never. Have you ever been to a ladies' Bible study? And this is the culture that we are in. This is the culture that we are in, an inward, inward-focused culture, a self-loving culture, a same-loving, same culture, because it is all about us, because we are the determiner of our own reality. And we'll find ways to invent evil to promote ourselves. And then he ends in verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And this is where we are. That's how we got here. And again, before you say, that's right, pastor, get them. Get those sinners. Look at the very next passage in chapter 2. Therefore, Paul says you. He's been talking about they. Now he says you. You, Christians, have no excuse. Oh, man, every one of you who judges... For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the same things. Ouch! Oh, I wish that passage wasn't in the Bible, but it's there. He says, you got some serious issues, church. And you know, just before you're allowed to say, man, I wish I could have my act together like the Apostle Paul. He's right. He's so right. I'm so, I'm so hypocritical because I do some of the things that I complain about other people. Doing. It might not be homosexual. It might be heterosexual, but it's still immoral. And I keep doing the same things that, that, that the Word of God says not to do. And I believe the Word of God is true. And I wish I was like the Apostle Paul. But before you say that, fast forward all the way to chapter 7 and the words of the Apostle Paul about himself. Verse 15, he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Paul, who is writing the Bible, says in the Bible, I have a hard time living out the Bible. Next verse, or no, three verses later, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And please, please notice Please don't miss this. He hates the evil 
inside of him. He does not hate himself. You have got to separate desire from identity or you will end up hating yourself. Because everybody hates the things that they do. This is why we're so carefully trying to craft that perfect image on social media. Deep down inside, we know we are broken. And at the end of the chapter, in verse 24, he says, Wretched man that I am. What's the next word? Not what? Who? Who will save me from this body of death? The answer is not a program. The answer is not a therapy session. The answer is not counseling or conversion therapy. The answer is a person. And that person is Jesus. He's the answer for anybody who knows that there's some serious stuff inside that needs to change. So number three, man needs to be saved by his maker, and it is possible through Jesus. He is the who. He says, verse 25, thanks be to God. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Think about that great theologian, G.K. Chesterton, who said, I came to Christianity looking for a program, and I found a person. And his name is Jesus. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you that God has the power to change anyone. We have somebody in the audience today. He's going to come up now. His name is Stephen Bennett, and he runs a full-time ministry to homosexuals around the nation. And he is telling a counter-narrative to everything that you are hearing in the world today. I want you to welcome him to the stage, will you? Stephen Bennett, Stephen Bennett Ministries. Amen. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here, Stephen, and I'm sure that people need to hear your story because it is a complete counter-narrative to what is out there. So please share your story. But before I do that, was this not an amazing message? I said this last night. I have heard, I've heard Romans 1 preached over the last 18 years in ministry. I've heard this message preached I don't know how many times. I've preached it a number of times. And the Holy Spirit was all over him, and I believe is now too. He has cut right to the chase, and he has nailed the issue. So thank you. Uh, thank you. The check is in the mail. Thank you so much. <laughs> you know, growing up, I always felt different. Um, I was the oldest of three children growing up here in Connecticut. Uh, my dad, I grew up in a wealthy family. My father invented the lock on the tape measure. You guys all have my father's invention in your house. Mm. My father was an amazing creative man. Um, but my father had a slight problem is my father was an alcoholic and my father loved other women. He loved my mom, but he went after other women. And my father never seemed to love me, his firstborn son. Loved my sister and brother. So growing up, I never learned how to play ball, any of those games. But my mother felt like she was a, a woman running into a burning building trying to save me. She became my mother and father. Now, I might not be able to play basketball or something, but let me tell you, I can sew a mean pair of curtains, double line with tassels. And... <laughs> but, the, you know, my mother did her best, but my mother could not be my father. And growing up and being called queer, faggot, sissy, being made fun of by kids, and even my own father putting me down all the time, when I was 11 years old, tragically, I was molested by another man. And that threw me into one of the deepest, darkest caverns I've ever been in. I never shared that with my parents. They knew something was wrong. I ended up going off to art school. I'm, God has gifted me with the gift of art. 
and I met other people who were like me. Welcome, Steve. It was filled with gay and lesbian people. I finally came out when I was in college, and for the next uh, 11 years, with tragically, nothing I'm proud of, with, with over 100 men, I lived my life as a depraved human being, struggling with uh, homosexuality, alcoholism, drug addiction, bulimia, and eating disorder, which I clearly don't have anymore. <laughs> but I knew something was wrong. I knew something was always wrong with me. I was told, you're born gay. I knew I wasn't born gay. I was craving the love of my father, and something somewhere took away that love. And even though that experience of molestation was painful, there was a pleasure aspect to it, and I was drawn to that. And I ended up going down that path for 11 years. But God wasn't done with me. I didn't know who God was. And finally, I came here to Provincetown, Massachusetts, because two Christians actually came knocking at my door and shared the gospel with me and shared everything about homosexuality and how it was contrary. I didn't pray to receive Christ that day. But I came summer of 1991, and I became a tax-paying citizen here, living in P-Town, doing my artwork, looking for Jesus. I went to every single church possible there. And there were lesbians worshiping God, singing the old hymns. I knew it wasn't that. I went to the Catholic church, two guys walking up, holding hands and hands, getting communion. The priest giving them a kiss afterwards knew it wasn't that. I couldn't find God that summer. If someone shared the gospel with me, I would have fallen down right there and received, received Christ. But I went back home, back to my partner who I was with at the time, and God wasn't done with me yet. I prayed with my friend Kathy on the phone. She read to me from the book of Romans chapter 1. And she said, I was told her, I'm, I'm going to be a gay man. That's who I was created to be. If, if I can't have Jesus and God, you know, forget it. I'll just, I'm going to go to P-Town and be who I am. Mm. And she opened up the Bible to the book of Romans. Don't you hate that, these Christians? They always got a word, a page, a chapter number and everything. <laughs> Praise God. So she said, Stephen, if you go back to P-Town and give yourself over, I actually said I'm going to give myself over to the lifestyle, three things may happen. Number one, God may give you over to your sin. Number two, he'll allow you to believe the lie. And three, he'll make you a reprobate in his sight, eternally damned. It scared me so much, I said, what do I need to do? I prayed with her on the phone that day in my partner's house, and by God's grace, I was saved. I felt a burden lifted off my shoulders. Now, though I had turned and I repented, and I said I would never go back to that lifestyle. I was out of my partner's bed in two weeks and on my way and walk with Christ. I still struggled. Why? I prayed. I did everything. But finally in the Bible, I realized reading the Lord's Prayer, as God forgives us, we need to forgive others. There were two people I hated more in my life than anyone, yet loved one of them. That was my father and the person who molested me. I forgave the molester from my heart. I wrote a letter covered in tears, lifted it up to the Lord, forgave him and ripped it up, said I'm never going back there again. But I confronted my dad in the kitchen one day when he wasn't drinking many years ago, and my father said, why did you always tell me I was no good, stupid? You always treated me different. And I found out my father said something I never told you before. But when I was born, I was not named after my father. My mother chose to name me after, after her father, my grandfather, who was really more like my father. You see, my father had a horrible relationship with his father, who was not an alcoholic. He was a drunk. And he hated all of his other sons because his firstborn, Eddie, who was named after him, no one could be as good as him. So my father said, Stevie, I'm so sorry, but it's too late. And in the kitchen, I said, Daddy, don't ever say it's too late. I love you more than anything. And my father, they gave me a hug, 
kissed me on the cheek and he whispered in my ear, Stevie, I love you. That day, for the first time ever, words I never heard from my father, I realized I was looking for the love of my father in the arms of other men, not sexually. Now I had the real thing. God had delivered me from that point. By God's grace, I no longer struggle. I met a woman who was praying for me. She knew I was gay, and I was a prodigal in her eyes. And by God's grace, we just celebrated 25 years of marriage last week. Irene, just stand up for one second. My beautiful wife, Irene Bennett. Amen. God called us into ministry. We've been in ministry for the last 18 years, reaching the LGBT community for Christ. My wife has written an amazing book out in the lobby, which I will plug. It's called Until Your Prodigal Comes Home. If you're a parent, family member, friend of anyone who's LGBT or any prodigal, get yourself a copy of that book. It's amazing. There's also a free free pamphlet out there called I Was Gay. I put my picture on there so when you hand it out, people won't think you're gay. Amen? (laughs) Shares my story in detail as well as can lead anyone to Christ. But you know what? By God's grace, it's because of people like Pastor Tim who have the courage and the guts as a salmon swimming upstream to share the truth. We should not be embarrassed. We've received death threats against our own children because I had the nerve to say, I was gay and I'm no longer gay. I may not be the most masculine person in the world, but Jesus has changed me. He's completely changed me. And what he did for me, he's done for thousands of others and he'll continue to do because God's not a respecter of persons. If you have a loved one, a family member, or a friend, please don't ever stop praying for them. Mm. Anyone, God can set them free and he can use you. Amen. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you so much. I'm going to give me four minutes and we will be done. But I want to also tell you that on Wednesday on the podcast, we call it the Deep End Podcast. It's live on Facebook at 12, but you can listen to it anytime after that. Stephen's going to be joining me on the podcast this Wednesday to answer any and all of your questions and even maybe share more of your story about the Lord's work in your life. So uh, how do we reach, as Christians, the LGBT community? You know, no different than we would reach anybody else. You don't even have to bring up the issue of homosexuality. I have many friends in my life, including neighbors right now, who I love more than anything. Some of my best friends are gay and lesbian people. They know where I'm at. I know where they're at, but something that you said that was so key in the message is don't let who you, their, their behavior or actions become your identity. Yeah. I'm able to separate that uh, and, and see the beauty and the goodness and the wonderfulness that God's created them, and God is starting to change those people. So if you have someone who's LGBT or anyone, it's simply sharing the gospel of Christ. Don't ever stop praying for them. Contact our ministry. We're only two hours away. We've got a website, great resources in the lobby for you. We will help you. We'll pray for them. We'll give you the tools that you need to be able to reach them. And man, when you see that prodigal coming, walking home like the prodigal, the father and the prodigal sons, it brings tears to my eyes every time someone in our ministry calls and says, Steve, you're not going to believe this. My son or my daughter has come home. It's absolutely amazing. 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 I had a question. It's out of my head now, but I think it's over here. Hold on. So the narrative out there is it's unchangeable, fixed, and determined, and yet you have seen, and you know because you've experienced it, but you've seen many, many, many others change their sexual orientation and become heterosexuals. I mean, it is possible. Speak to that a little bit. It's 100% possible. Listen, the sexuality is such uh, it's so complicated. Yeah. 
But the most important thing, guys, is we have an instruction manual by the creator himself who created us. He's given us the rules and the laws for sexuality. And it's important that we need to get to a point where we don't go by what we believe or what we feel, but we go by the word of God. My pastor at home has always given us an amazing example of a train, a locomotive, the, the engine, and the cars behind it. People, the train is God's word. The cars behind it is our, our beliefs, our emotions, and actions. When you have the word of God pulling you, everything works out fine. But when you put your emotions and your beliefs in front of the word of Ooh, God, good. you go off track many times. So it's really important to, to, to realize and understand that. And, 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 and that's so good for anybody who's not homosexual is that that can be applied to everybody who is a sinner, and that's what we are. The aim of our church is not to make heterose uh, homosexuals heterosexuals. The aim of our church is to see dead people come alive in Christ. Amen. Amen. Um, quick question lastly, too. Can a person come to Christ and be gay, and they say, man, I just, no matter how much prayer, fasting, whatever, it's just this inclination doesn't change, but faithfully live out the Christian life in a celibate way? They could. Yeah. But I, what I say what's really important is when I went to P-Town, I realized something very important. And you can jot this down and put my little name next to it because so, I, I gave you this one. You gave me some great stuff this week. <laughs> Homosexuality and Christianity are like oil and water. Mm. They do not mix. So I believe that a person, just as an alcoholic or someone, many of you in here probably right now who are struggling with some kind of sin... Mm. You might be truly saved. Truly saved is agreeing with God and then repenting, doing that 180, totally turning around. But you still might have that struggle in, in you. But I don't believe that you, I am a Christian alcoholic. Hi, my name right. is Steve. You can't do that. Right. You have to, you know, the, the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. I am born again. I'm saved. So you can be a person who struggles with homosexuality and God is working on you in your life and there's no problem with that. But you cannot be a practicing, habitual homosexual. And there are many people out there right now, tragically, that identify as gay Christians in a whole entire movement. You wouldn't even believe what's going on right now. I just wrote an article recently on our website called The Final Frontier of the Church. Homosexual activists, I'm talking about the activism, has made such unbelievable strides into Hollywood, the government, the schools, everything. And the last frontier that they need to conquer is the, the church. church. Yep. And so please, if you get a chance, go on to our website. Go visit the table. There's so many resources. I want to talk to you if you've got someone to pray for. Let us share you know, what we can with you and let us be partner with you. That's what we want to do to be able to help you guys out. And again, I am just so, God bless you for inviting us here and just being for such a man of God. I wish we honestly lived much closer than this because this would be my home church, Amen. without question. That's good to hear. Thank you so much, Stephen.